Welcome to our podcast here at Trinity West Church. We believe that you will be enriched by today's message. Let's open our hearts to receive God's Word. I want to say I love my wife. She's a blessing to me. I met her on a mission trip in 2001, the first time I ever met her. And then we went back on a mission trip uh, to that same country in 2005. This is a testimony for all those of, who are going to Honduras. And then in 2009, I saw her again, and I had a little bit of a different mission. And as you can see, I accomplished that mission this morning. Um, honey, if you could stand and greet the people. This is my wife, Joanna. We're expecting. She's eight months pregnant. We have about... Nine more weeks to go, and so, man, we're, we're excited, man, and, and just glad to be here with you today. I'm excited to preach a word to you. I believe this message is a word for uh, Trinity Central, or I'm sorry, Trinity West, and I believe it'll be a blessing to the house as you guys grab a hold of the message. I believe it'll make a great difference in our communities out here in Loxahatchee and in the sphere of influence that you have influence over. If you could turn your Bibles... Uh, to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And those of you who uh, you don't have your Bible, you can find it here on the screen. It's going to be Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It's called the Great Commission. It reads this way. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Someone say, make disciples. Of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I want to share a little message to you today, simply titled, The Deathbed Message. The Deathbed Message. Now, I love movies. Do we have anybody in here this morning that loves movies? Yes. All the unspiritual people, I'm right with you. And all the youth. (laughs) I I love movies. It's one of my favorite things to do. Now, we are lucky to live in paradise. We live in paradise. People spend like $5,000 to leave Buffalo, New York, or to leave Ohio, or Seattle, or wherever, and to come right where we're living on this little plot of ground here. Now, maybe not so much in Loxahatchee, but where I live, by the beach. Although we love Loxahatchee, too. It's very, very cool out here. I like it out here. It's spacious and relaxing. But we live in paradise, and so one of my favorite things to do is to take a few vacation days. We get some vacation days from the church, just like you do at your job, hopefully. And, and, and we take a few days, and, I, and you know where we go? We go right over there to Publix, this little thing called Redbox. And I put in there a little $1.50, spend about $3, get two or three movies, and I bring them to my house. And I turn off the lights, I light some candles, and I just sit in my man chair that I've just recently purchased, and I watch 
movies. I just love it. It is so relaxing. They say, where's Pastor Dan? He's on vacation. They say, oh, that's awesome. Where did he go? He went to his house. I went to my house to watch movies. I love movies. And there's a little scene in movies, you've probably seen it if you've watched different kind of movies, where the main character or somebody in that movie is in the hospital. And now this person is probably older, and they've lived their whole life. Maybe they're a a businessman, and they've spent all their time at the office, and now they're in their 80s, and now they're on their deathbed. And they bring all of their family around, and, and, and there's this little segment in the movie where he begins to give his deathbed message. And what is the deathbed message? That means he lived his whole life, and now he's beginning to share just the last little thing that he feels is the most important out of the 60, 70, 80 years that he lives. It's his deathbed message, the most important thing. And most of the times that person's talking about family or loved ones or something very, I mean, the, the main essentials of life that person shares on their deathbed. It's their deathbed message. Now in Matthew 28, it's the last chapter in the book of Matthew. These verses are the last verses of that book. And we see that is the last thing that Jesus shares with his disciples. He had lived 33 years on this earth. He did active ministry for three and a half years where he was healing the blind, the lame. He he died on the cross. He was in the grave for three days. He rose from the grave and he was walking on the earth for 40 days. And this little moment right here that Jesus shares is his last message. It is his deathbed message that Jesus shares to the church. I think that if we could reach into the soul of Jesus and grab a gold nugget of truth, his deathbed message would simply be disciple. Jesus said, go and make disciples. It's his deathbed message that he's sharing with us today. Now, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus is doing some amazing stuff. But about halfway through the Gospels, we're seeing his last trip to Jerusalem. He did a lot of his ministry in the northern part of Israel, in Galilee. So it was a region like South Florida, just a region. And and halfway through the Gospels, we're seeing his last trip to Jerusalem for what's called the Passover. Every year, Jews would have to go to Jerusalem. It would be like us going to Washington, D.C. for three main feasts. One of those feasts was the Passover. You might remember the first Passover. Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he's like, Hey, my my people have been slaves for 400 years. You need to let my people go. Pharaoh's heart was hard. Moses said, Okay, we're going to have ten plagues. And there was all these plagues, ten of them. The last one was that the death angel was going to kill the firstborn of all the people living in Egypt, except for those who had the blood of the lamb upon their doorposts. So the Israelites, they put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost, and the death angel passed over that house. Well, this was an amazing thing that they decided to institute this holiday each and every year. And it was so amazing that no matter where you lived in Israel, you had to come and celebrate the Passover because it was just an amazing thing and a precursor to the blood of the lamb. Jesus is the blood of the lamb. He, and actually he died on Passover to forgive us from our sins. So here's Jesus in Galilee. He's doing his thing. And, and he knows he needs to go to Jerusalem to die. So about half of the Gospels are all the stories of Jesus sharing with his disciples up to Jerusalem to die. And this is what's crazy. 
Jesus, on this last trek to Jerusalem, ignored the crowds. Now, I can't... Now, we know that the crowds are important. Blind people need to get healed. Sick people need to get healed. Hungry people need to get fed. But Jesus loves discipleship so much that he ignored blind people to spend time with his disciples. Let me show you a passage here in Mark chapter 9. As he's going to Jerusalem for the Passover to die, it says this. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where he was. Or excuse me, Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there. Why? For he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. Jesus loved discipleship. He gave his whole life for the world that we would live, that we would, but he gave his, his time, this last section of his ministry, to his disciples. Now, why would he do that? The, 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 people got to get healed. People got to get fed. People need deliverance. Jesus ignored them so we could spend time with his disciples. Why would he do that? Now, I'm going to make a statement that is not theological. Please don't stone me, because I'll bring balance to it, okay? We all know that Jesus is in heaven, and he is establishing his church by the Spirit of Christ. But in the very beginning, he needed some living, breathing, fleshly people to bring that kingdom to pass. That was the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. When Jesus left, who was there? The disciples, Peter, John, James, all these guys who were all messed up. All these fishermen who didn't know anything about anything. Peter, who was always putting his foot in his mouth. John, who wanted to be the first over everybody. Judas, who was stealing from him. These guys, except Judas, these men were the ones in the book of Acts who were sharing the gospel. It wasn't like angels came down and said, believe in Jesus. It was the people who had been with Jesus that said, you got to believe in Jesus. You see, the kingdom of God is advanced not through angels. The kingdom of God is advanced through you. You say, me, I work at Walmart. What can God do with a Walmart employee? God can use you to bring the kingdom of God to this region out here in Loxahatchee. It is the deathbed message of discipleship that I'm encouraging us today to grab a hold of in a new way. Jesus loves discipleship. It is his lasting command to the disciples. Discipleship. I, I wonder today if you are discipling anybody. I wonder today if anybody can, can look to you for some encouragement. Do you ever send a text to somebody that is a little bit younger than you in the Lord and say, hey, how are you doing today? I hope you're doing well. Or I wonder if your neighbor, if they're going through a hard time, if they know that they can come to you and you'll listen to them, not in judgment, but with a smile. And what I'm talking about is embracing others. Being somebody who would reach out there and say, hey, I don't have it all together. You know, the apostle Peter, he didn't have it all together. Peter was so up and down, it was crazy. I mean, first he's like, Jesus, I'll die with you. And then Jesus is about to die, and he says, I'm out of here. <laughs> Jesus, this is a word of encouragement for his church, that Jesus is not looking for perfect people. This is great because I'm not perfect. How about you? But he is looking for somebody who will say, 
I'm available. I'm able. I have a cell phone and I can text somebody. I have two two ears and I can use one of them to listen to somebody. I have a home and I can bring someone over. It's the deathbed message, church. It's the place of discipleship. We must value discipleship because Jesus values discipleship. Now, another question is, is maybe someone's asking is, is, man, why should I get involved? Or maybe what will my discipleship of others do for them? When I was a young kid, uh, when I was about in seventh grade, there was a great thing that came to Palm Beach County for a middle school boy. And that was the Palm Tran system. Man, it was awesome. Do y'all have the Palm Tran out here? Does it come out to Loxahatchee? Y'all don't, y'all don't even know. Y'all got your own cars out here, you know? <laughs> You're like, I don't know. Well, when I was living in the heart of Lake Worth in seventh grade, the Palm Trans system came. Now, we had never had any bus system ever. As long, I've been here my whole life. I've never seen anything like it. But for a middle school boy, the Palm Tran was amazing. Because now, instead of just hanging out at my three friends' house all summer and just hanging out in our little neighborhood, we could go wherever we wanted. Oh, for $1.50, we could go to the mall, and we could get some Chinese food. I mean, you know, it was just amazing. I mean, we could walk in and go to the arcade. We could go there and just hang out and drink some soda on a park bench and just have fun at the mall. And then after we spent our time at the mall, we could go to the San Luis Pool. And the San Luis Pool had this, like, huge diving board. And we could, we could jump off and do belly flops and have our friends laugh at us. I mean, we got to experience so much more because the Palm Tran could take us there. You see, we couldn't get there by ourselves. We needed the Palm Tran. And with the Palm Tran, we could experience life on a whole new level that we could never experience before as young boys. What does your discipleship of somebody else do? It allows them to go places that they could have never gone before without you helping them. When you enlist in the deathbed message of Jesus Christ, when you begin to take interest in somebody else who who maybe doesn't have, they just have one less problem than you have. Just one less problem than you. Am I ready to disciple? You're ready to disciple. You just find somebody... I'm sorry, with one more problem than you have. Just one. How, how can I decide? If you have one less problem and they have one more problem than you, guess what? You can help them. You don't have to be perfect. You can do it. And when you begin to do that, you can take them to a place that they've never been before. It's all about relationships, church. I, I, I've been in church my whole life. And they would always tell me, the preacher would always say, relationships are important. We need to build relationships. And I was always thinking, why do we have to build relationships? I got my beautiful wife. I got my man chair. I got my, my, my Netflix. I don't need to build relationships with anybody. They'd always say relationships are relationships. And then I figured something out. You know why relationships are important? Because when something bad happens in our life, and all of us know that something bad does happen at some point in our life, some challenge comes, you know who we run to? We run to people that we have relationship with. I'm reminded of of Paul and Timothy. Paul was a great, great leader in the church. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. 
And one day he came into a city and he heard about a disciple, a young man named Timothy. And Paul took the initiative to reach out and grab Timothy in and began to disciple him, began to mentor him. As a result of this great training, Timothy pastored the largest church in all the world at that time, and he was only in his 40s. It'd be like Dr. Cho over in China. This guy was pastoring. And he began to have great, great problems in this church. So bad the problems were that Timothy was dealing with that his stomach began to have, give him problems. You know you've got to be stressed out when you're getting ulcers. And actually, he would you know, talk to Paul about it. And Paul said, hey, Timothy, you might remember from the scripture from 1 Timothy, take some wine to fix your stomach. That was one of the remedies back then. He began to help him in his time of need. And when he had trouble, he could go to Paul. But what if Paul saw Timothy over there and he said, Oh, that's just a young skinny buck. I don't have time for him. I'm doing the work of God. I got better things to do than to deal with this guy. No, but thank God, Paul embraced Timothy. He went out and he saw somebody that might be a little bit of a nuisance. He saw somebody that might have some problems and might be financially burdening or might just be a nuisance. But Paul reached out and he grabbed him and he pulled him in. And when Timothy needed help, he could go to him. This is relationships. This is why the grill and chill is so important. I love that idea. Men's grill and chill. Five bucks, all you can eat, you get stuff. I mean, if you just get just a few things of food, it's like bait for men. They just come, man. Just, we're going to eat, I'll be there. What are we eating? I don't know. Man food, whatever that is, I'm going to be there. The grill and chill. Man, that's why that's important. And it's not just important just to come and eat, but it's important to come and eat and share a laugh with somebody and build a relationship over a story of a funny story that happened to you 10 years ago. And we build a connection. And then when I have a problem, who can I call? That guy who made that awesome sausage. I, I'll call him. Relationships. Why should we enlist in the deathbed message? Because it helps others go further faster. Think about the Old Testament prophet, Elijah. Elijah was this amazing prophet in the Old Testament. I mean, a powerful man of God. He's so powerful that even though he was living in the Old Testament, they referenced him in the New Testament along with John the Baptist. I mean, a powerful man of God. And the Bible talks about eight recorded miracles that the prophet Elijah did. He did eight miracles. Well, I'm thankful that one day as he was doing these great mighty works for God, he began to reach out to somebody younger than him, somebody not as powerful, somebody is not as together. His name was Elisha. We have Elijah and Elisha. Similar names, but two different people. So he gave Elisha the opportunity to get discipled. And Elisha came in, and he began to disciple him. While Elijah did eight miracles, Elisha did 16 miracles. Twice as many. You see, we need to disciple others because we help others go further, faster. That's why you should engage in discipleship of others. That's why you should text somebody. That's why you should go out to coffee with somebody because you're helping them go further, faster. The second thing is true about discipleship is not only do we help others, but you know what? We also get to help ourselves. When we disciple somebody else, we help ourselves. 
Now, I don't know if you've seen these people. They're all around. You might work with some. Maybe you have some, some, some in your family. You ever seen these people? The most selfish people. It's all about them. They only care about them and, and their money and what they're doing and what's going on with them. And, and it's crazy. Even though they only focus on themselves, they're still bitter and mad and angry. You ever seen them? They're all around. They're at Walmart. They're all over Lake Worth. But this is what I don't understand. This is what I don't get. It's like a car. If all I do is pay attention to the car, I'm waxing the car, shining the wheels, making sure the, the motor is excellent. And when I, when I put the, my pedal on the metal, it goes room and it just runs really good. If I spend all my attention on my car, my car is going to operate at the greatest potential it has. But humans are the exact opposite. If all we do is focus on ourselves and me and mine and become selfish, it doesn't make us better, it makes us worse. It's like the people who are the most happiest are the people who are concerned about everybody else. It doesn't even make sense to me. Amen? Now, of course, we need to take care of ourselves. I don't recommend you missing lunch to help somebody else. You need to eat three meals. Encourage you to exercise, save some money for retirement. I mean, take care of yourself. Yeah. But I think you understand what I'm saying. When we help others, when we concern ourselves with others, we get blessed. It's kind of selfish, but I want to be blessed, so I'll help you. Hello. Uh, we, we need to help others. It's, I did some research this week on the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea. Because everything in the Dead Sea is dead. In fact, nothing grows there. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Perfect name for a body of water. Now, most bodies of water, in fact, almost every other body of water, has two things going on. It has rivers coming in to the body of water. Water comes into the lake. But then that lake also produces another river out of it. Every body of water. It has that. It has water coming in, but then it also has water coming out. But the Dead Sea is different. It only has water coming in. It does not have any rivers pushing stuff out. That's why the salt levels are so high. The only way water leaves the Dead Sea is through evaporation. It just evaporates. But it doesn't push anything out. What a great example of the person who only receives but never gives out. I'm not after talking about giving, giving money. I'm talking about caring about somebody else. See, you got a great pastor, Pastor Brian Rosenbarger. Oh, man. He from God is giving you great food, spiritual food, each and every week. I just want to know, are you taking that food and saying, man, that's awesome, and then just letting it evaporate out of your life like, oh, man, I just forgot what he said? Or are you taking what he gives and then giving that out to somebody else. Because when we do that, when we take what we've learned in life, and we take what God gives us through our devotions, and we take what the pastor's given us, and then we just begin to embrace that and give that to others, we become like a beautiful spring that is constantly receiving and constantly giving. We are blessed when we enlist in the deathbed message of Jesus Christ. We help others. And we're blessed. Now, this is an important aspect of mentorship and discipleship as well, that everybody would understand. That while I'm encouraging people to be like a Paul and give out, 
All of us in here, I believe, myself included, that we need to be in the position of a Timothy where we're open to being discipled. Oh, we got a lot. Oh, I'm about to preach. Hold up now. Oh, Lord, should I say it, Pastor? Oh, maybe not in this church. In fact, I'm not saying in this church, but you would understand this. We've got a lot of people that think they know everything. You ever met them? And you, and you be a nice person, try to encourage them and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And maybe offer a little bit of advice. They don't want to hear it because they know everything. Well, we'll just see how far along you go in life. You see, I'm encouraging you today to embrace others, but also to be embraced by others. Timothy would never have received from Paul if Timothy didn't want to receive from Paul. So I want to I encourage you to begin being open to going to a small group and hearing what the small group leader has to say. And I'm not, I'm not talking about submitting your whole life to them. I'm just saying being open to receiving. When we're open to receiving mentorship and we're giving out mentorship, that is the sweet spot of life. I share a little illustration to you. One day, many years ago, I was driving on I-95. I was actually getting on the on-ramp to come on 95. You know that little on-ramp, and you have to merge right into traffic there? Uh, my wife's uh, never been on 95 before, and I'm always, like, thinking, how am I going to teach her how to merge on? You know, that's, an, that's a, a crazy thing to merge right into traffic your first time. I remember the first time I did it. I was like, oh, my God, these cars are going so fast. It was, but you got to get right in there. So the other day, many years ago, I was in a... Um, a brown car. It was like a mid-sized sedan, a brown car that I was in. And I was coming on the on-ramp, and this happened to be a very long on-ramp. And all of a sudden, I see this little beat-up, old, red, like little box car coming. And it was like barely going 50. I could barely get there. It's like, and I don't know what was wrong with me. I wasn't acting very Christian that day, I do have to admit to you today. But as I'm on the on-ramp and I'm trying to merge on, there's this little red box car, and I start going about the same mileage of, uh, per hour that the red car was going. And I was just, I don't know, I was just like, I'm going to make them go forward. <laughs> We're either going to get in a wreck or they're going to go forward. I, had, I prayed in tongues like an hour that day. I had super faith or something like that. So I'm like waiting for them to go. And, the, you know, there's a decision that you have to make. You either have to stop or you have to go. So I'm like going, are they going, what's she going to do over there? And she's looking at me. I'm looking at her. I'm like, come on. And all of a sudden, at the last second, she put on her, the gas and boom, she went forward. And I felt so proud of myself. I said, man, look at that. I helped them go forward. I helped them move along in, in this day. Man, I did a good job. And it was so funny, in my, as I pushed that little red car forward, and I had my medium-sized brown car, while all this is going on, this huge blue semi was right on my tail. And all of a sudden, I look into my blue, uh, I look into my rearview mirror, and I see this blue silver grill right on my tail right there. I'm like, oh, my God. So I put my thing on, and I started going forward. That's a great picture of discipleship we help other people move along but then we also have somebody else helping us move along down the road i'm here to tell you today you must put yourself in a place to be discipled because you get blessed and we help others pastor mark you could come start playing the piano 
I, uh, I have the opportunity to speak, and I love speaking. We run a ministry, Joanne and I, together at, uh, at the church. On Tuesday nights, we work with young adults. And so because I have the opportunity to speak all the time or more and more, I have to have something to say. And so I've compiled like these little um, documents on my computer, different files. One of those files is a files on stories, different stories that I hear through reading books or podcasts or personal stories. I, I hear a story and I try to put it in that file because when I stand up to speak, I need stories to share with the people. And out of that little file of stories from personal experiences and from books and stuff, I want to share with you one of my favorite stories that I have in my life. It's a personal story. And it starts out with me getting saved around 20 years old. I went on that mission trip, 2000, and I got saved. Now, before that point, I was not living for God. I was, I was going to church, but I wasn't living for God. Hello. <laughs> you can come to a building. But it doesn't mean you're living for God. That was me. Until I went on this mission trip. And man, God touched my life on this mission trip. I got so radical for God. Just God touched my life. And I started serving God. I had to leave my old friends because they weren't influencing me well. And I started getting hooked up in the church. I started hooking up with this young man. He was 26 at the time. His name was Jonathan Cook. He was the youth pastor at Trinity Central. And so I started, he started discipling me. He started saying, hey, Dan, you want to come over for, for a baseball game? And you want to come over, go bowling? You want to help me move some chairs for the youth service? I, I just start, I just love Jonathan so much. I just wanted to be around him. So I, he started to disciple me. He started to bring me in. He started to listen to my problems as a 20-year-old man. And then one day, I, I was going to PBSC. I had to sign up for a class. And I took this class called Earth Science. And it really began to rock my faith because they were talking about atheism and there's no God and all this kind of stuff. And, and I began to, I was so radical for God and wanted to know the truth so much that I would sit in the class at PBSC with my science book open. And I had my Bible right on my desk, a big old Bible too, right on my desk reading Genesis 1, reading the science book. I'm like, dude, I'm confused. And forget about Jesus being real or Jesus is the only way. I started doubting God. Till one day, Jonathan called me up. He said, damn, my wife's out of town. You want to come watch a high school football game? I'm like, yes. I thought Jonathan was so cool. I just wanted to be around. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come with you. So he came and he picked me up two Fridays in a row, back to back. We would go to the football game and he paid my way. We would watch the football game. And then afterwards, each week, we would go, and we would go to a fast food restaurant. First time we went to Taco Bell, we would eat those tacos in his old little Toyota. And, and the next week we went to Wendy's, and we would eat hamburgers right in his old Toyota. And for those two Friday nights, for about 45 minutes or an hour, I would begin to talk to him about my dilemma. I would begin to tell him my doubts. Like, Jonathan, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm confused. I, I, need to, I don't know what to do with this situation, this doubt that I'm going through. And, I'm, and, and he said something. He said, he started telling me about the truth and about God and about this and that. He's a great debater. And he would just debate with me as I had these questions. And you know what I said to myself on that Friday night there in the year 2001? I said, you know what? Finally, I said, if it's good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. And I just embraced Christianity. And I'm here to tell you today, 
that I would not be standing up here today if it wasn't for those two Friday nights with Jonathan Cook in the parking lot of Wendy's and Taco Bell in his old beat-up Toyota. I believe in discipleship, mentorship, reaching out and embracing others and bringing them in because of those two Friday nights, because of Jonathan Cook. And you know what, church? I believe that there's so many people at your jobs and in your neighborhoods and in our church even now and, and, and the ch- people to come to Loxahatchee in the future that need somebody who doesn't have it all together, who doesn't know it all, but is available to give a text message or to invite someone over for a barbecue or to sit down and listen with their ears, to give a smile, to give an encouragement. I believe that you're ready to do that, church, in a greater level. I know that you've been doing that. You guys are a successful church. But I'm encouraging you today to maybe consider doing that in an even greater way or continue doing it. Or if you've never done it, send in a text to someone today. Hey, I was thinking about you. How are you doing? It's the deathbed message of Jesus. I wonder what you can do to help somebody else. Would you bow your heads with me today?